The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. All right, y'all have your Bibles. Eternity 6 is where we're going to be. You're going to want a Bible in your hands as we, uh, as we get into uh, this passage of Scripture. If you didn't get some sermon notes and things like that, also uh, stick up your hand and our ushers will get those to you. But here's what we're doing uh, this morning and next week. I'm actually extending our God is Great series uh, two more weeks. Why? Because I just have loved preaching this and I think y'all have uh, been impacted by the Word of God in this, haven't you? So sometimes great sermon series are just hard to let go of. No, 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 uh, not quite that. But here's what I want to do. Here's why we're extending it two more weeks is because I want us to make this connection to two integral pieces of our Christian life. Two integral pieces. And in, in really every January since our inception as a church, uh, way back then, January of 2018, uh, I've uh, begun the year to reorient ourselves back around these pillars, these things we value in unceasing prayer and uncommon community. They've seen them on the walls. You uh, are, have invested in them. You know them. But every year, while well, everyone begins our year making these New Year's resolutions of things that we're going to change, habits we're going to either break or start, as we uh, lean into these new habits, we need to make sure that we remain tethered to God himself and connected to one another in community. For apart from the Lord... And apart from his bride, we won't take any strides, at least no meaningful or eternal strides. And so we want to begin this year. I know we're a few weeks into it. That's okay. Maybe uh, those resolutions, those habits you already tried to make have been broken already. It's okay. But what we want to do now is reorient ourselves around this theme of prayer. And I doubt few, if any of you in here, of any who love Jesus this morning, need a reminder on the importance of prayer. You get that prayer is important? You love Christ. I think that you, you do. And, you know, if, if you do need some reminders, if you want some additional teaching, I, I preached a series several years ago called Fresh Encounter, uh, looking at the instances of prayer through the book of Acts. You can find that on our website and on our podcast here if you need that reminder. But we know this morning, I think, that we are supposed to pray. And the list is long on the reasons why we don't pray, Right? long. I, I, we could talk about them for the next hour here, but we're too busy. We're too proud. We're forgetful. We don't believe it really works. We have this lingering disappointment because something that we prayed for, we, it didn't turn out the way we wanted. Too timid. We don't know what to say. We think, well, I'm not eloquent. People make fun of me if they hear me pray. We're embarrassed because we might say something stupid. Know whatever reason might be that holds you back from praying. What I want to do this morning is to take us to the scripture, to Psalm 86, and to teach us not so much like how to pray, as if it's like some magic formula for praying, or if you uh, you know use King James type language and you have a very pious posture here, then God will answer everything. Not so much that, but I want to teach us here this morning what we should pray. 
what we pray for. And hopefully as we uh, engage in prayer and look to God's word here, that this will then increase your fervency in prayer and your frequency in which you do pray. And hopefully this series then, this God is great series, has stirred in you an enduring motivation to pray. Week after week, as we've looked at the greatness of God, hopefully this has stirred in you an enduring motivation to pray. So we could say it like this, because God is great, we pray. It's really the bottom line this morning. Taking all that we've learned in Genesis 1 through Revelation 22 over the fall, we just say this, because God is great, we pray. He alone is worthy to be sought. God alone is the only one worthy of our affection, of our worship, of our attention. And so we seek Him, we pursue Him. And church, where do we find the Lord? Where do we find Christ? We find Him here in the book that we hold in our hands, in the Scriptures. We find His self-revelation to us here, His character, His works, His goodness, His attributes in our book. And what have we found in the Scripture week after week? We found that He is great. He's incomparable. There's none like him, and he has made some pretty fantastic promises to his people, has he not? Promises of unconditional love, promises of forgiveness, promises of a king, promises of justice, all kinds of promises. And because he is who he says he is, and because he has made these promises to his people, then we pray. We pray, and I don't want to just Take for granted that we know what prayer is. See, prayer could simply be defined like this. Prayer is calling on God to come through on His promises. Write that, write that down so uh, you don't forget it. You can write it in your Bible. You can write it on your notes. But prayer is just simply calling on God to come through on His promises. It's calling on His name, on His reputation, on His character. It's making an appeal to Him to come through on His word. What we see about God then in the scriptures, his character, his attributes, his past faithfulness and his past works, these then guide what we pray for. And Psalm 86 is a great guide for that. Psalm 86 shows us how we can pray and what we are to pray for. So turn in your Bible. I want to read it for us here. David's prayer. Then we'll make some comments and put it to practice. Look at the word of God with me. Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. 
O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. They do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is God's word for God's people. Oh, to be able to pray like this, huh, church? If only our prayers sounded this good and this eloquent. Maybe that's because they'd be spirit-inspired and, and included in the word of God here. But what are we to make of the, a prayer like this, church? Well, notice just a, a few things here. Everything in this, in this prayer is directed to God alone, is it not? Everything is, is uh, David is praying, the pouring out of his heart as he's calling on the name of the Lord. He is calling solely on the Lord. And everything else, uh, all of his prayers are saturated with grace. God, be gracious to me. As he makes these requests, he's like, all of this is undeserved and unmerited. And yet he is coming to the Lord asking for his help. You know, and there's in this uh, psalm here, there's really three kind of movements or three sections here. And in each section has three different parts. In the first uh, uh, part there, he presents his situation in the first few verses. He says, God, here's what I'm going through or here's what I need. And then he, he appeals to God's character. For you, God, are blank. And then he makes his request. In each of the three sections here, which we're going to look at in closer detail in just a minute, he's like, Lord, here's my situation. But I know you are blank, so please do this. In this, he teaches us then what to pray for. So let's look at the first section. He says, Lord, I need help in times of need. He needs help in times of need. In the first seven verses, he's like, uh, uh, God, I, I need you to answer me. I know you are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you in verse five. And so he's like, so please give me joy and be near. Give me more joy and give me your presence. Now let the truth of what uh, verse one says really impact us this morning here. Like sometimes we look over the, 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 the verse like, or verses like this, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. Now church, isn't this, a, isn't this a great reality? We have access to the Lord. The God of heaven, the Holy One, the creator of the universe hears you and answers you. And that should motivate us to talk to him at all times. We have this unhindered access to the most important being in the entire universe. He's, he can call on and God will answer him. This is what he does. You know, in the war of life, we, I think we're too prone to just like fight with our own hands instead of calling in the big airstrike. He's calling on the Lord. And, and then he's, because the reality is, is that he is God and we are what? We are poor and... We're, we're poor and needy. I think God is greater than we realize, and we are more needy than we like to admit, right? But this is no uh, uh, news to us. This is nothing unusual. For what did we see way back when we started this series? Turn back to Psalm 70, just a few pages over. Our theme passage for this whole God is great series. First part, or verse 4, really, we've loved. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, right? Psalm 70, verse 4. 
What have we been doing? We've been seeking the Lord, seeking and finding a joy and gladness in Him. May those who love your salvation, do you love your salvation this morning, church? And say forevermore, continually, God is great. And here's that contrast. God is great, but I am poor and needy. And so he calls on God. He's like, God, quick, quick, come to my rescue. Hasten to me. Oh, my God, you are my help and my deliverer, O oh Lord. Do not delay. The same way David begins Psalm 86. I am poor and needy. God is greater than we think. We are more needy than we think. And what are David's needs here in, this, in these verses? It seems as though his life is on the line. He is calling out to God, help me in this time of need. He needs preserving, verse 2 says. He needs rescue, and he is looking to God for help. We don't know what it is. We could kind of insert this psalm as an ongoing prayer of David's throughout his life. For if you read through uh, the Samuels in David's life there in those Old Testament historical narratives, it seemed like his life was always on the line, does it? Especially before he became king. He needs help. So who does he turn to? Well, in verse 5, he knows God is good. He knows he is forgiving and abounding in steadfast love. And so he is asking then God for joy, for God to be near to him. And he can ask this because he's calling upon the name of the Lord. The God alone, this is who can ask for these things. To those that call on his name. See, God is not one amongst many options. The Lord God is not uh, one who, uh, you know, is, is in line with many other gods. None are like him. Thus, genuine faith is putting all of our hope, all of our prayers in Christ's basket. Jesus, you must come through or I am through. And so we don't know necessarily what it is that David is going through. But look what he is asking here and get the difference of what he is praying for. As he presents his situation, he's going, God, preserve my life, rescue me. He needs this help and deliverance. Maybe he's sick, maybe he's in a cave and he's lonely, maybe he is starving, maybe he is being uh, hemmed in and attacked. We're not for sure. But he asks for joy in the midst of it. Look at verse 4, he says, Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Even as he is asking for help, as he is asking for rescue, he is asking for joy in the midst of it. And I think as we pray, this needs to be added to our prayers as we like present our situation to God. God, uh, here's where I'm at. Would you give me great joy in the midst of it? Maybe because you're going throughout your day and you're at work and you, you're, you need some help. Maybe you're in the midst of sickness and you're lying low today. Would you ask God to gladden your soul? That type of joy that comes from knowing Christ. The kind of joy that also comes from His nearness. This is what He's asking. Give ear to my prayer. Be near. Listen to me and be with me through this. We all know the reality. God may or may not get David. He may or may not get you out of your situation. But what we do know is that God can give joy even in the midst of it. And He will walk with us. Where God is, where His presence is, Psalm 1611 says, in His presence is fullness of joy. Whatever you may need help for today, whatever 2022 is presenting you, uh, even now you can pray for these things. Why? Because God is who He says He is. God is good. He forgives. He abounds in steadfast love. 
He is not meager. He does not withhold. He is not uh, uh, on portion control. But he abounds in steadfast love if you would just call on his There is joy. That's where we are. He wants his presence, which is what leads David to pray for more of his presence, really in the next section here, beginning in verse 8. He prays for God's manifest presence. He is praying for his presence to be there and acting. He said, God, I know you are great in verse 10. You do wondrous things. You alone are God. So then he's like, so please teach me this obedience. Please teach me this gratitude. The situation there is he's like, God, I want to know more of you. And not only do I want to know more of you, I want the nations to know you as well. He wants God's manifest presence for God to be at work. Let's just take like a a theology timeout for a second here and talk about God's presence. There's a difference here in the scriptures and in theology of God's omnipresence and his manifest presence. Okay, His omnipresence is that God is everywhere all the time. God is here. He is there. He is at your home. He is across the globe. As the creator of the universe, as the, he is spirit, he is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere. Where can you go to escape his presence? Where can you flee the Lord, church? Nowhere. You can try to run. Jonah tried to run. How well did that work for him? Maybe you've tried to run. You found that we cannot outrun Lord, his omnipresence is everywhere. His manifest presence is then where he is actively at work. Where he is on the move, where he is doing these wondrous things, where he is present uh, because people are, are opening our Bibles. That's why we have our pillars, because we want God to be at work, transforming us, growing us in godliness, teaching us his ways and, and, and growing our affection and our obedience in him, growing our worship. And so how does he do that? He does it when we open our Bibles. When we come, when we hear God's word proclaimed, when we are praying, God is uh, amongst us, working, moving in us, when we are worshiping him, when we are lifting high the name of Christ in worship, when we are sharing the gospel, when the good news of Jesus is being proclaimed, this is where the Lord is and at work. He's at work amongst his people. When we gather as God's people here, as, as the church, as our small groups, this is where God is. And so what do we do? We go, we, we go vertical, right? This is what we, we, we want. We are calling on God to be moving. We go vertical. But here's the thing. When we glorify his name and worship him, when God is at, at work, what then changes? Or maybe I should say it like this. Who then changes? We do. We are the one who changes. He comes down. His presence is here. His glory is among us. And then our heart changes. Incidentally enough, we're going to take a different time out. This is what our like logo tries to capture. As we go vertical, the upper uh, 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 triangle there, we go vertical, and the lower is representative of our heart. When we approach the Lord, we can't help but our hearts to be changed. For us to grow in, in greater affection for Christ, for us to grow in greater understanding of who he is in church, his manifest presence, this is what we want. This is what we are seeking after. This is the reward of heaven that we actually then see him. This is what is leading David to pray in this way. There's none like you. He's just adoring Christ, ascribing to or adoring the Lord, ascribing to him the glory that is due his name from not just him, but among the nations. Why? Verse 10, because he is great. He does wondrous things, incomparable things. He alone is God. And because he is great, look what he prays for. 
It's like, God, teach me your ways. Teach me not just like your ways, but teach me your truth. But he goes beyond that then because he goes to the heart, right? He says, unite my heart to fear your name that we would delight to obey. Now, behavior modification is, is, is rather easy, isn't it? Somewhat anyways, like as we think of our kids, like you can teach them how to uh, obey, how to work, and they can be like robotic. Does the Lord just want perfunctory robotic obedience from his children? Because where he's moving, what he's teaching David to pray and what we should pray for is, God, would you teach me to delight in your truth, to delight to follow your ways even when it's hard, even when it is unpopular, even when I am the only one seemingly willing to follow you. God, would you be present? Here's my situation. I know you're great. Now do this work in my heart. Teach me this delightful, joy-filled obedience. And would you also grow my gratitude? He says in verse 12, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Not just kind of a perfunctory thanks. Hey, God, thanks for doing that. Yeah, thanks for my food. But what does he say? With my whole heart. This is, this is wholehearted gratitude where God is, we can't help but be thankful as we uh, know our own sinfulness, our own struggles here. Yet God has done this great work. He would be pleased to dwell with us. It would grow our grateful praise and adoration of the Lord, not just for the things that he has given us, but for his great and abundant, steadfast love toward as we think about the greatness of God and the greatness of his love that he has shown us, what we try to capture in every service as we say, you are loved. God is great in the outpouring of his love toward us. And this leads us to great gratitude, a love that saved us, a love that is sanctifying us, a love that is uh, supplying us with everything that we need. Ultimately, we've had our greatest need. We've been delivered from death. We don't fear dying. That's what he's referring to at the end of verse 13 there. You've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, the lowest parts of hell is a euphemism for that, right? It's that term. There's no fear then that we have as believers of physical death nor spiritual death. And for that, we can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is what we want. We want more of you. Even still, even still, we have need of daily protection and daily provision, don't we? See, while we have this eternal hope, while we have this outpouring of great love, we still face this physical harm. We still have things that happen to us, which is why he takes in the the final movement beginning in verse 14 here. And he says, God, I need protection from harm. God, here there's people hemming me in, but I know that you, Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So please give me strength and comfort. Maybe you found yourself in a tight spot like this. Maybe even now you're feeling hemmed in or even attacked by family members, co-workers, whatever it might be, because they have differing convictions. Differing convictions about politics or, or COVID and mandates or how you school your children. Maybe you're feeling the attacks like this. Maybe it's not just you're feeling that way. You are actually being attacked for whatever it is. What does David do here? Calls on God's past faithfulness, doesn't he? 
Yet again, he calls on God's character. He calls on his reputation, calls on who he is in verse 15. They're referring all the way back to Exodus 34 and God's self-revelation of himself, of a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We had some of our kids in here who went through summer blasts. They memorized this this last summer. But what's the context here? In Moses, there in, in Exodus, Moses has asked God for God's manifest presence instantly enough in chapter 33. God, we're not going if you're not going. If you're not head leading us into the promised land, we don't want to go there. And so he asked God, hey, would, would you go? Would you show me your face? And God's like, I can't do that. But I'll pass before you. You can see my backside here. And he does so. And then he makes this covenant and a promise with them that he will go before him. He re-gives the law. He forgives them because of their great sin and folly in the golden calf incident. But then he says, this is who I am. Followed up by then, this is what they should do as well. And so now, hundreds of years later, David is calling back on this. God, you were merciful and gracious to them then. Would you be the same way now? Give me strength by your grace as I go, right? Turn to me, be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. I need your help in the midst of this. I need your strength in myself. David says, I don't have the strength. Give me your strength by your grace. Give me your comfort. Verse 17, by your favor. Another way of saying your grace so that those who hate him, those who are around him may be put to shame. Why? Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You've given him consolation, confidence, a calm. Both of these, undeserved, unmerited, yet given fully and freely by God. By all who call on his name. All who trust him. See, we rely on the Lord for everything. We rely on him for our our protection. We rely on him uh, for uh, uh, his presence. We rely on him for the very breath that we breathe. And because of this, because of his greatness in each of these, we pray. The reality is the enemy doesn't want us to think that we're needy. Enemy doesn't want us uh, to think that we need his presence, that we need to grow, that we need to change. The enemy doesn't want us to know that we need his protection, that we rely on him. I heard Daniel Henderson say once in regards to 2 Corinthians 1, he says, the enemy doesn't care what we rely on so long as it isn't his Holy Spirit. The devil doesn't care what we rely on so long as it isn't the Lord. We could rely on ourselves, we can rely on our docs, we can rely on a government, our strength, our personality, our charm, a substance, as friends, whatever it might be. If it is not the Lord upon whom we rely, we will not go anywhere. So let us begin uh, 2022. I want us to, uh, even this morning, we're going to take some time to pray. To pray as a church, to call on the name of the Lord together to rely on him, to take him at his word, to just simply uh, take these, the scripture as a guide to teach us then what to pray for and what to ask for. Jesus put, it, put his reputation on the line. He's like, hey, ask me whatever you wish and it'll be yours. We wish and we desire his presence and his protection, these things. So we want to spend some time doing that. We're going to take Psalm 86, we're going to sing some songs here, and we're going to pray, calling on his name, singing and praying, scripture-fed, worship-based, spirit-led prayers together.
And I know maybe for some of you this may sound strange and weird. We're going to do what? It's okay. It's okay. It, like, I, I promise you, it's going to be okay. We are calling on the name of the Lord here. It may seem unnatural. The heaviness of what you are going through this morning may, may, may like paralyze your lips. You may not even know what to pray for this morning. It might feel weird, and it's going to be okay. Let me just put you at ease. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter what I sound like. Doesn't matter. This is between you and the Lord. We're praying to our Father. If you're a Christian today, if you've trusted in Christ and you are in the Lord, then God is your Father. The Father can attest to, like, it doesn't matter whether I'm talking to my infant daughter or my older son. I delight to talk to them no matter what. Whether it's an infant baby or late night conversations with a teenager, a dad loves to speak to his children. So you don't have to sound all eloquent this morning. You don't have to uh, be all, uh, uh, you know, to put on a show for anybody else. Actually, what does Jesus warn about in that? Yeah, it's not going to go well for you. This isn't, a, this isn't a show. It's not about what you sound like or who you sound like. Just simply coming before the Lord, acknowledging our need, acknowledging his presence, acknowledging his uh, protection over us. And so what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to lead us in some prayer. I'm going to call the worship team up in just a a moment. And we're going to sing some portions of songs. And we're going to uh, uh, have some time as we pray together. I'm going to just stay up here and lead us in that as we go. And so you can stay seated if you uh, want to stand up. If you need to kneel as we're praying these things. Just uh, we're going to spend some time calling on the Lord. Bringing our requests to the Lord. And asking for more of Him. Can we do that together, church? Let's do it. Bow your heads and let's pray uh, even now to prepare our hearts to pray. God in heaven, here we are. We acknowledge that you are great. Because you're great, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to call on your name. So whatever uh, whatever things may be uh, uh, on our hearts this morning, God, we, we're bringing them to you. Trusting you, acknowledging that you are good. Whatever fears we may have, whatever uh, uh, discomfort we may have, even now, God, just rest in your presence. But we're here like David. We're here desiring more of you. Calling no other name but on yours alone. Pray these things now in Christ's name.